Well, good. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Look, I always say it's fun. If you don't make the first one, you can't make all of them. You know what I'm saying? It's important to know. <laughs> if you don't make the first one, you can't make all of them. And uh, so you made the first one, either whether you're in this house or at your house, uh, it's always fun. And uh, it's always exciting to see everyone in this house. I know I've shared with y'all, it's not the same. I, I look at a camera and there's this little black hole back there that's just looking at me and it's got this little glary glass. And so I can't see the same. But these people here, I see you smile and I see you how, man, somebody look at your neighbor and just say, you look good this year. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny when you watch reactions, they're like, oh, oh, I, I look good. I mean, you know, it's, it's nice to say that. You can't say that enough. And so it always makes us feel better to know somebody else notice it, especially with my women in the house. You know, men, we, we have this, this ego thing that, that we kinda, we're kind of insulated from all that. I mean, women, um, having, you know, grown up with three sisters and my mom and then, being married for 35 years and having a daughter and now having two granddaughters and stuff and no women they can be real you can be real harsh on yourself at times like you'll look in the mirror and you start looking for flaws like oh ooh, ooh. you know men we look at the mirror and we'll sit there and look at ourselves and you know everything may not be all right but we can come to the conclusion that this ain't so bad, you know. <laughs> you know, we're not sitting here, we don't beat ourselves up. <laughs> Women are like, oh, goodness, ah. And so, look, it's always good to hear, hey, man, you look good, and you do look good. And I'm thankful for this New Year's. I'm just curious, is there anybody here that um, does the resolution thing? You made some New Year's resolution. You don't have to raise your hand, because you probably already broke them, too, because we're already seven days out and so you probably made that resolution and then some of you you just don't make them because you don't want to disappoint yourself because you're like you're like I'm gonna make this resolution and then I'm gonna break it and then I'm gonna feel bad because I didn't do what I resolved to do and I just want to I want to encourage you this morning I I stopped making resolutions a long time ago not because I was afraid that I was gonna break them I already knew I was gonna break them but it didn't stop me from pursuing. And so I came up with now I pursue things. I don't resolve because I know resolve is a good word. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'm always reminded of Romans chapter seven, where Paul, one of the greatest Christians alive, I mean, who literally wrote three quarters of the new Testament alone, who came to faith in Christ. And in Romans seven, he said, the things I want to do, I don't do the things I don't want to do. I do who will deliver me from this body of death. Oh, wretched man that I am. And I said, I'm going to go on a pursuit. And so I want us to go on a pursuit together um, rather than simply resolving to do. Because then when we resolve to do something, it says more about my ability and my will to be able to will myself to do and to do something. I want us to go on a pursuit in such a way where we pursue God and it's him that infuses us with power. It's him that gives us the ability to accomplish what he wants, not necessarily what I want or think I need. And so that's what I want us to do. And so this year we are starting out a new series called First Things. First Things. It was in your bulletin. And this thing about first things, it's important um, in this, yes, it's a new year. I remember I read, uh, reading a chapter in the book of, by Stephen Covington um, that seven habits of highly effective people, in there, there is a chapter that says first things first. And in that chapter, he tells the story of a professor who challenges his students and he has this, he has this you know, gallon-sized uh, jar, glass jar there, and he has these rocks and he begins to fill this jar with the rocks. And so he gets them and fills it up and it's almost to the top. And he asks the students, is the jar full? And they said, yes. In their estimation and their understanding, it was full of those big rocks. And then the professor reached under his desk and he pulled out another jar of pebbles. 
small pebbles and he starts to pour them in and he takes it and it fills it up and it go, all the pebbles go in and they begin to fill some of the dead space and the air in there. And then he asks the students again, hey, is the jar full? And of course, the students begin to look at it and say, mm, no, don't think so. And they were right because then he pulls out a jar of sand. And he pulls this jar of sand out and he begins to pour this sand in and it begins to really go in and begin to fill all the areas and it starts coming to the thing and, and it fills all the way up and it, it, it covers and encapsulates all those areas. And then he asks the question again, is the jar now full? And of course, they're still wearing a no. And you're right. So then he pulls out a jar of water. <laughs> and he begins to pour the water into this jar. And as he pours the water in the jar, it fills it up to the thing. And they realize, and he said, is the jar full? And they said, yes. <laughs> kind of reluctantly. But in this, it, it, he asked the question, what is the, what is the lesson to be learned from this? And one student raised his hand and said, hey, he thought the lesson was that you can always fit more things into your schedule. <laughs> Come on, where's all my list people? <laughs> Good things. I can, I can put more people things in there and the, and the professor said whoop sorry that's not exactly the lesson I was wanting you to learn what he's told him was if you don't pick and you don't put the big things in first you won't have room for the other things to be able to go into your jar and really what he was saying is there's key things that we need to have in our lives first like we all get busy, don't get me wrong. Everybody here can find something to busy themselves with. We have so many things that, that clamor for our attention and for our time and want our thought process. And we got these things right here that just literally scream at us and tell us, hey, 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 hey. And it just, it, it, if you're not careful, it can carry you away into where you get so busy that you haven't got time for the things that matter most. And so starting this new year, as I was praying, that's where I came up. I want first things to be first. I want us to get the big things in there. And then we can add our schedule. We can begin to add things in there. But first and foremost, and I believe it's Jesus that wants to do that. Do we get the main thing, the main thing, and we don't allow ourselves to get off mission just simply because of life and its busyness. And so over the next several weeks, and I said several, we are going to look at the number one most read sermon of Jesus. How many of you know he was the perfect preacher? Like he didn't mince words. He knew exactly what he was going to say. He was theology. He was, he was um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was perfect theology lived out before our very eyes. And so as we look at this, we're going to look at this, um, the longest sermon that he ever preached, and that is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in, uh, mainly in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Of course, Luke, Dr. Luke, in his gospel gives us the cliff notes. He does make mention to it, but isn't recorded. And so we're going to we're gonna go through this, and we're going to begin to lean and glean from it over the next several weeks. And it's my heart in this, that we would get first things first. The main thing would be that, hey, Jesus, what are you saying and what are you doing that we need to make sure that we get those right first before we try to add in all the works and everything that we, that we know are good that God wants us to do, but I think connecting with him and getting his mindset would be number one paramount in all of our lives. And it's amazing. So when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, this is fun. It's, it's 107 verses. And if you were to sit down and read it beginning to end, depending on your, especially me, I'm a slow reader. I read a lot, but I don't read fast. I'm not one of those speed readers. Uh, so it takes me time and I want to take it in. And I also, I like to add, as I'm reading, I let the Lord like, 
I, I get to have fun reading. I'm a fun reader because I, I, I want to see what it says and enjoy the text. And in this one, it would take you roughly about 10 minutes if you read it from beginning to end. And so some pastors have said it's more of the devotional on the mount instead of the sermon on the mount because it was only 10 minutes. You know, I'd be like, I don't think I've ever preached a 10-minute sermon. I've had a 10-minute testimony, but a sermon, um, it takes me a little bit more. I'm not Jesus to be able to, to cover that and unfold that. This morning, it'll be about 30 minutes and uh, to get through this first part. And it's my desire as we go over this the next several weeks, it wouldn't be that we just simply read it or we glean from it, but that it would read us. That we'd allow the word to read us. So I'd like to put it this way. I hope that through the next several weeks with all that it encompasses, because Jesus in this one sermon touched on every aspect and area of life. He laid it out. And it's my prayer that as we go through this, some point and some portion, you would feel a great conviction in your heart like, ooh, ooh. I hope you get the ooh feeling as we go through this, not to feel bad, but to show your need. And if you don't feel, can we get to the end of this and you don't feel convicted of anything? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, your convictor button might be broken. You might want to really say, oh, Jesus, hold on. I feel nothing. There's nothing that is said or done. And I don't, I don't sense anything. I'm all good. It would be, I think it would, it would uh, share with Jesus like, oh, well, are you Jesus? You know, be careful you don't put yourself in that place that you're above that. And so as we look at this, uh, today we're just going to go over 12 verses. We're going to break this down so we're not going to try to, you know, keep you here all day just going over this. I will say talking about prayer tonight, um, it's going to be a fun time, six to, six to seven. I'm not giving you a teaching on prayer. <laughs> this isn't, hey, come at six o'clock and I'll teach you for 30 minutes about prayer. No, I'll give you a small little encouragement. It will be a devotional on prayer and then we're going to spend time praying. Well, actually, I'm gonna, you get to pray with the pastor, and I'm going to be up here just praying like I normally do every day. I spend time crying out to the Lord, spending time with him, having a conversation, and so I, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be conversing with the Lord tonight. If you got time, come out 6 to 7. Okay, with that, um, I want to go ahead and jump right in. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 5. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, that's not a problem. Thanks to our incredible people here in this house that know how to do things I don't. Like they can put all this in a computer and then they can project it on these screens. So if you don't have your Bibles, hey, don't worry. We have got you covered. I'm going to read here. But if you got them, I'm reading out of the NIV. And we're going to go ahead and go and read these 12 verses. It says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now when he saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they, shall, they will be shown mercy or shall obtain mercy, some translations say. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those, are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before, because, yeah, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this word. Jesus, I thank you that you are perfect theology. I thank you that you said we're two or more are gathered in your name, that Lord, you'd be right here in our midst. And I thank you as we go over these right now, what's been referred to as the Beatitudes, that Lord, you would check our attitudes or it would, these would be our attitude. Lord, thank you right now for illuminating your word in our heart, that it would read us and it would change us and it would challenge us so that we can think and operate the way you did while you were here on this planet and the way you do in heaven right now. Thank you, Lord, for doing it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So I want to do just a few observations before we dive right in, because I know this, many of you who have been to church, you've read the Beatitudes. Some of you, you may even have them memorized and you've read them, you've studied them, you've heard things on them, but you haven't done that today, I'm guessing. Or maybe you haven't done it in a while. Maybe it's been a minute. I know for me personally, I've taught on them a few years ago, just went through them, but it wasn't in the depth and it wasn't in the scope of what we're trying to do here the first day of the new year, trying to set our hearts and trying to set our mind to get us kingdom-minded, to say, Jesus, I want to think and act this year the way you thought and acted while you were here on this planet. And so just going over a few observations right off the bat to have fun. Uh, the setting is, as we read in, in verse 1, is on a hillside along the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. And so all my beach people, you know, that love that move here for the beach and you like to go out to the beach and look at the ocean hear the ocean and the seagulls that come and try to steal your stuff. No, I'm only kidding. The, 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 you, you like to go and you like to partake and, and, and look at this. Here it is, Jesus sitting by the shoreline. He's, he goes up on a mount right by the Sea of Galilee and, uh, and, and he sits down, which is a major point in this. So for Jesus to sit down, it says one thing as far as scriptures. Rabbis, when they taught, they would sit down. Like they would go and they would sit down. And you know what happened? Everybody else had to stand up. You think we ought to try that this morning? <laughs> Y'all are laughing, though. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, hold on, easy, Mark. <laughs> no, so we say, hey, there's, that was actually what would happen is the rabbi would sit down and those that were listening, they would stand up. You want to know why? It's real simple. It's hard to fall asleep <laughs> and when you're standing up and you're listening. So the rabbi would, would reverse roles like you standing there and you go watch and you go hear. You're like, oh, yeah, there you go. And so... Um, that was the main reason. So it tells us that, hey, he is wanting to teach something. Not only is he rabbi, he takes the rabbi position that says, I want you to learn something. I want you to get this. This is so important that I'm not just going to proclaim. And there were many times he did, but he sat down and he says, I want you to sit in this for a moment. Like, I want you to rest in this truth that I'm about to share with you. Not just simply hear it, but rest in it. And so as we, as we look at it, it, this rabbi does this. And then one thing that's important too is this teaching was mainly intended for his disciples. But the multitude, just by being there, got to glean as well. He was actually trying to tell his disciples, which are followers, he was trying to get his disciples, his followers, to lock into, hey, this is how, starting out, my very first thing to you, I want you to get how I want you to operate in this world because it's going to go so counterculture to what the world tells us, how we should be, how we should react, what we should do, and how we should respond in certain situations. And you'll see as we go through these, some of these are going to be uncomfortable because in my own life, I'm going to say, Mm, 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 blew it, messed that one up. Um, and so we, it, it's, in, it's encouraging and important that we understand that. And so also, um, there are eight blessings that he starts with. This word blessing 
It's amazing because when you look at it, that's where you get beatitude and it's really the attitude. It's, it means happy, extremely happy, not just happy, but oh yeah, it means like, hey man, I am happy, happy, happy. And so it uh, wasn't just, hey, I'm happy. It's like, no, you are, it was exclaiming that uh, I want you to be most happier. Oh, how happy it is. And when you look at what he says, they don't correlate, they don't go together. Because I don't think of happiness, like if we look at the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, happy are the, extremely happy are the people who are poor in spirit. I'm like, I've never known anybody to say, man, I'm so happy I'm poor. I mean, you can find happiness in that, but it's not a thing where we think of, hey, what would make me really happy? Let me get poor, let me not have enough, let me be bankrupt, that makes me happy. That's not in our natural thinking process. And so when we, we look at that, these eight beatitudes or these ad, attitudes to be this thing of blessing, he wants us to understand that the purpose he was trying to do was to explain to us and to challenge us about what it looks like to live daily as a follower of Jesus Christ, motivated by the heart, not by the law. Because see, the Pharisees, they had this thing called self-righteousness where they had followed the law and they said, I've done this and I've done this. And they looked at their, their, their wonderful doing. This is more about being than doing. This is how he wants us to be, not what he wants us to do. And so when we look at these eight things, it's important to, to understand that they're collectively together. Like they're all, one leads to the other. Like they, they go in, in a sequence for a reason. Jesus, you know, he didn't just do random. He went from one to the other. It starts out, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it ends in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it starts in the kingdom, ends in the kingdom. And everything in between is about the kingdom. And so it's not, these aren't meant to pick and choose as principles that I want to add to my life. Like I want to be more meek. I want to hunger and thirst more for righteousness. I, you know, I want, to, I, want to, I want to do these things. I want to be a peacemaker. Now I know in Southeast Georgia, you got to be careful when you think of peacemakers because some people think of peacemakers what they carry on their side. It's like, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Like, Blessed are the peacemakers. No, that's not it. It's actually those who make peace. And so we're going to dive into these in just a moment. But I do want to set, a, set this course that each one gives way to the next one. And collectively, they're all interrelated to each one. So I can't just, I, I don't pick and choose. I actually look at the collective as a whole and say, Lord, this is the character you want me to demonstrate on this planet for those around me that aren't believers yet. This is really to followers. And so if you haven't committed your life to Christ, these are great principles to practice, but really they're meant to lead us to a complete surrender of our lives to our Lord and Savior, the one only one that's righteous to be able to, uh, that deserves and has, has proven that he deserves our allegiance and our loyalty. And so with that, we're gonna go ahead and dive in and look at the very first one, this thing about being blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This thing about being poor in spirit, it's amazing because it does go into this thing about righteousness, that, that somehow this is the only place in scripture where poverty is used in a way other than monetary gains. That in other words, Jesus wasn't just saying blessed are the poor, Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, this isn't a physical thing. This is a spiritual matter. And let me say to you, all of us are physical beings having a spiritual experience. That's vital to grasp. That we're not, uh, we are spirit beings having a, we are spirit beings having a physical experience. We're not physical beings having a spiritual experience. See, the difference is, hey, we just showed up here on the planet, somehow it just came about. Oh yeah, we're gonna have a spiritual experience in this. No, we are created by God 
for God. It even says in Psalms 139, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before your physical self was ever seen, your spirit being God already knew us. So we're a spirit being having a physical experience and Jesus is leaning into this. And when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's getting us to come to the place where we hopefully have learned that we are spiritually, we are spiritually bankrupt. That on our best day, we can't be good enough to get to God. That spiritually, we've blown it. We've messed up. That when I come to realize I don't have the funds, the spiritual capital I need to be able to be a part of God's life, it draws us to the conclusion, and there should be only one conclusion, not that, oh goodness, I'm poor. No, it's thank you, Jesus. When we come to the realization that I don't have the ability to connect with God, oh, that's right, you've provided it for me. You've provided everything for me that I need to connect with my heavenly father. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Matter of fact, I love what Psalms 51, 17, uh, David, a man after God's heart, that God called him a man after his heart. That's not somebody that somebody in the, you know, some of his friends said, man, that David, man, he is a man after God's heart. If you look at what he did and you look at the mistakes he made, God, even in the midst of all those mistakes, God said, David is a man after my heart. In other words, he's not going to stop. He's going to keep coming because he realizes the condition of his soul, the condition of his spirit. Matter of fact, in Psalms 51, verse 17, it says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. In other words, I'm not going to allow pride and my own ability to think somehow I've attained and I'm better than everybody else. We have to be careful in this that we don't allow ourselves to elevate ourselves by our good deeds and who we are instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to give us what we can't get on our own. And that is really when we become spiritually bankrupt as a result, we get to see the kingdom of God. Not just when we get to heaven, we get to experience the kingdom now, which is powerful. It's not something, you know, in the sweet by and by. <laughs> it's right now we get to experience a grace, a love, a peace, a joy, a blessed happiness that we can't get otherwise. I get to put my whole trust in a savior that loves me and is willing to go to the nth degree to, to, to bring me to a saving knowledge of him. And so it's, it's faith in Christ that we say, I'm, I can't do it, but praise the Lord, you can. And he says, we get his kingdom as a result of it. So happy are you when you come to that place. If you haven't come to that place and you're still relying on your goodness and your efforts, I hope this morning you come to the place like, yeah, I'm tired of that. That's a lot of work to try to make that happen and that you would come to that place of surrender. Next verse, verse four, where he comes on the next and this goes right along with that. So it starts off being bankrupt in spirit to, very, to where now blessed are those who mourn. Y'all, Okay, happier poor people, happy are the mourners. Happiness and mourning do not coincide. They don't, that's not where they normally connect. When you're thinking of writing, you're like, man, I'm so happy, I'm crying. You know, I know there are tears of joy, but what it refers to here, happy are those or blessed are those who mourn. And really it comes from this, this, this understanding that when I look at my life, realistically, not when I think of it, hey, not where I want to be, but what I have done. And I come to the conclusion that, man, my life, I have done some things and said some things that I don't want anybody, I don't want them up on the screen up here. I don't want it to start playing. And I'd say, we begin to mourn over the things that we've said and done. And we begin to mourn over our own sin, stuff that we've done. I remember when I came to Christ, 
uh, February the 9th, 1986, right here in this, in this auditorium. <laughs> I got to catch myself. We are the sanctuary, by the way. For those who are new with us, this is an auditorium. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the sanctuary. And so when I was in this auditorium, February the 9th, 1986, a Sunday morning, I'd come here. I'd got arrested on Friday, got out on Saturday, came to the church on that Sunday. And on that Sunday, I was convicted of everything I had ever done. And I couldn't wait. I didn't know. I was raised Catholic. We didn't have altar calls in the Catholic church. I love them, but we did not. And so this, the pastor who became one of my mentors said, hey, if you need Jesus come up, I couldn't wait to get up here. And as I sat there for, until I got there, I guess it was around 12. It's what we normally shoot for. I was there till three o'clock with one of the leaders in the church, Alan Berry, who's now in heaven, who sat there with me just crying my eyes out. I could not stop. I could not, there was nothing I could do. I was undone. Everything, I was convicted of everything I'd done. I pray this thing of mourning over things that I've said, things that I've done, it brings us to the place where then and only then will God himself comfort us. Because I want to tell you, after that moment, after that morning, that morning of morning that went into the afternoon, when I woke up the next morning, when I tell you the joy that flooded my soul, y'all, this is in February. I remember looking out the, the trailer I was living, I looked at the window, and of course, really the only thing green usually in Southeast Georgia are pine trees. <laughs> remember looking up and saying, man, look how green the pine trees are perspective have changed. Things have been broken off. I had, I was comforted. That's what God wants to do. He wants to comfort us, but it's only after we walk through this process. Second Corinthians one, three and four says this way, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He's the father Y'all, that's what he does. He shepherds us. He fathers us in compassion. He's full of love and kindness and compassion who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When I mourn over mine, I can actually help other people walk through that process. And so we get comforted as a result of just being honest and open with God. Number three, happy. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek. Now, here we go. This is a fun one. This word meekness, because many people, that's found in verse 5, uh, many people, um, when we think of meek, they naturally think of weakness. And so it's not. It's never, those two do not coexist, meekness and weakness. I think of Jesus, who was the meekest man that ever lived, and he wasn't weak. Matter of fact, when they were going to crucify him and they sit and trying to get him to proclaim, yes, he was the Christ, they, um, they, they, Jesus made this statement, nobody takes my life. Nobody had the power. Matter of fact, when they came to him in the garden, he said, I could call a legion of angels right now and you would be no more. But meekness says I have the power to do something about something, but I choose to lay down that power for the sake of others. And it says what, what will happen with the meek? It says they will inherit the earth. Matter of fact, there's a acronym for meek. I, I, I didn't make this up, but I found this. And it was, as we go through it, it says M is for mighty. Uh, being meek is not for weak or faint of heart. E is emotionally stable. Meek people control their emotions. They allow by the Holy Spirit, we call them the, the fruit of the Spirit, they're able to control us. They're educable, and mean they're completely educated. You cannot teach a proud person because they already know everything. Anybody ever experienced that in your life? Been a part of that? Wives, don't put your hands up. <laughs> I'm married, so be careful. It's so, um, you know, this, this whole thing of trying to teach somebody that already knows everything, you're like, okay, well, here, you go do it. And you, you can find yourself in a world of trouble. And then the, the K is for kind. Without loving kindness, all else is clanging noise. 
And so when we think of this thing of being meek, it's not weak. It's really submitting my will and saying, Lord, yes, I do have the power to control my own life. The, the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts God's ever given to mankind, and those who children know it, have children know it well, that's this thing called a free will. God, in his grace and mercy, gave us the ability to choose. We have a free will that we get to choose who and, and what we do. And so if we look at that, this thing of meekness, I get to choose to say, Lord, yes, I could lead my own life. Yes, I could do that. But I choose to lay it down and connect with you and allow you to have the, have the say so. And in so doing, it says they will inherit the earth. So the first three, when we talk about poor in spirit, when we talk about, hey, that, um, that we're going to mourn over those things. And then we say, hey, I yield my rights to the Lord. I get to inherit these blessings. Number four says this in, in verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And we talked, so the first three were really about submitting our rights to laying down our life, to giving up, to saying, no, Lord, I, I, I'm not going to do it my way. But when we start this one, this one actually gives me an action of, hey, I really want something different. And I want to hunger and thirst for something that I don't have right now. And we think of righteousness you got to ask yourself, am I going to allow myself to define my own righteousness? And this is where we have to be careful as a society. Because what we have a tendency to do is we look around at people around us and we look at their actions and then we say, well, I ain't so bad. I, I ain't too bad. Look, look at what they're doing. The only problem is they're not going to be the ones that judge me. They're not the ones they are going to be the one connecting me. They're not the ones that are leading me. They're not the ones that I've committed my life to follow. And so when we talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, literally, it means hungering and thirsting to do it the right way, which is God's way. Like, God, I want to accomplish this your way, not mine. And it says those who do that, they will be filled and it's not with right, you'll be filled with the right way that you go about it. You'll be filled and reminded that, hey, it's only in surrender. It's only in my ability to lay my life down to him that I actually find it. Matter of fact, Philippians 3, 7 through 9 says this way. Paul, very humble man, said, but whatever were gains to me, I now, and here we were talking about a religious leader, Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, now I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Jesus is teaching us that, hey, on your best day, on your own goodness, it's not going to be good enough. It's only as we allow him to live his life in us and through us that we're able to obtain that righteousness that God wants. And then the next one, number five, where it says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And this one, let me just say, everybody here, everybody here loves mercy when you blew it, when you've blown it. Come on, let's be honest. We, we, we beg for mercy. We want mercy, mercy, mercy. But we've got to be careful. We're just as quick to give it out as we are to receive it. Because we want mercy, but many times we don't want to give mercy. We're, we're really, we want people to get, we actually become judge and jury. And it's like for me, and Jesus taught on parables about that with the, uh, with the uh, rich ruler and, and others where hey, you, you got mercy, but then you want to go hold somebody else. And so when it talks about this thing of, of forgiving, this thing of releasing somebody of their debt, and that's what mercy is about. So mercy keeps me from getting what I do deserve. That's what mercy is. Grace gives me what I don't deserve, 
Like I get, a, I get a relationship with Jesus. I don't deserve it, but he gives that to me. Mercy keeps me from getting what I do deserve. And what we want to do, we want people to get what they deserve. We, we like, uh-huh, you're going to get yours. You, you mess with me. And when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, he's saying, this is what a follower of mine looks like. We love mercy, but we want to love to give it as well. Matter of fact, matter of fact in Isaiah 55, the prophet Isaiah says this in verse 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. He'll forgive. How many besides me need mercy? <laughs> Come on now. We all do. How many of us want to give mercy? And to the degree we receive it, then we can give it. Let's move on. It goes on to say now we're, we're dealing with a heart issue. We get, we're going deeper. So it starts out with poor in spirit and, it, and we keep going down the road. And now we get to the heart and it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. That's both now and in the, in the kingdom to come. That we get to see God and how he operates. When we talk about blessed are the pure in heart, I can't purify my own heart. It's like, a, it, it's, it's like in this, it's like a heart surgeon trying to do open heart surgery on himself. Scalpel, hold it, no, anesthesia. <laughs> Oops, messed up. I can't purify my own heart. The best thing I can do is go to God and say, Lord, what do you see? What do you see in here? That's what Psalms 139 at the end, it says, search me, God, try me, God. See if there's un, any wicked way within me. If there's anything in me that I've kind of got locked into the system and I've got locked on around me and I've gotten hurt and I've gotten uh, aggravated and I've got some things going on inside me, Lord, I, I don't want that. I want a pure heart. I want your heart. Matter of fact, God wants to give us that. In Psalms 51 again, David says this. He records verse 10. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, that's what made David a man after his old heart. When he messed up, he didn't try to do good deeds to make it better. He went after God and said, Lord, you're the only one that can clean this up. You're the only one that can rightfully, you give me the mercy and you give me the ability to purify that which has defiled me. And that's what we have to battle and that's where we get. And then uh, we're almost done here. Let's get to uh, number seven. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now we're taking on a whole new status. Now we're actually, hey, and, and there again, this kind of reiterates my fact that I always make with you that in scripture, there's nowhere where you see the adults of God. <laughs> it doesn't say, you study scripture, it's nowhere there. We are the children of God. It says, blessed are peacemakers. What is a peacemaker? Well, you're either gonna be a peacemaker or you're gonna be a peacetaker. Now, a peacemaker is not somebody that's weak and just say, hey, a peacemaker walks into a situation, sees what's going on, and then operates according to the kingdom principles and walks in and says, hey, how can I make this situation better? Like if you ask yourself right now, with the people you're in contact with, close contact, either your family or your work relationships or what, ask yourself, are you a part of the peacemaking process or the peacetaking process? I said, ask yourself. Don't have to put that out. I'm just asking you because peacemakers have an have a opportunity to say, I, God, I want you to use me to change this situation that's going on in a person's life. And I wanna tell you, in our world today, as mixed up and messed up as it is, and it is, I'm not denying that. I look around and I see in many avenues and areas and, and um, you look at it and you go, man, whew, that's messed up, but I'm gonna wade into those and I'm gonna be the one that's, I'm gonna help bring peace to people that are battling. 
I'm going to be the one to help be a peacemaker because that's what children of God do. That's what his children do. We help do that. Matter of fact, Romans 12, 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with those few people around you. Is that what it said? Just the people I like. It says, live at peace with everyone. How many of you know it's hard to live at peace with some people? Y'all can say amen. It's, it's being reality. But it says I'm called to lean in this and do this. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs, we end up back at the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this thing about persecution, it's, it's this is one of my own pet peeves, is many people receive persecution because of their own understanding and what they have personally caused to happen. Like they become militant about a certain situation or person or thing, and they're saying they're being persecuted. They said, no, you're just kind of reaping what you've sown. That's not persecution. There's a difference. It's when I'm doing the right thing because it's the right thing, and then all of a sudden people come at me and begin to say, hey, and say all kind of things. That's a matter of fact, in verses 11 and 12, this is the only beatitude that actually expands a little bit further because it is so powerful. It goes on and says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Not because of what you think and you're espousing your, you, you know, you're espousing your thoughts and feelings and opinions on a matter on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and you got all this stuff going. No, because of me, how we're living according to him and what he's allowed, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They were just doing what God wanted them to do. And because people loved their own way and their own wants and their own desires, people get upset when you say something that is contrary to what they think and feel, especially if it's the truth about Jesus. They'll begin, they get mad. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. I've had it happen many times. If you witness a lot, you'll, you'll have it happen more often than not. If you don't witness, don't worry. But if you, once you bring people to a knowledge of Jesus and you ask them about Jesus, you'll find out how many people care about Jesus. <laughs> and they will say all types of things. I've, I've even said, oh, hey, you know what? Obviously, that's a sore subject to you. Because <laughs> they wanted to fight me instantly when I mentioned, hey, man, I'm just out talking to people about Jesus. You got a second... It's like, ooh, them's fighting words. Like they wanted to go like, hey, which you, man, don't bring him up. And I'm like, don't bring him up. Man, he's, he's important to bring up. I don't want to hear about it. I'm like, oh, okay. Matter of fact, I don't want to hear about it so much. I want to shut you up. I'm like, hey, I'm just going to ease on off. God bless you. Jesus, I'm going to pray for you as soon as I leave here. I could have stayed there and fought and said, hey, let's fight. No, I'm just going to share. There are people that will want to throw hands just over trying to tell them the truth because it says that in, in John 3, people love darkness. Jesus brought light and they love darkness and they didn't want to come to the light. At least he exposed their deeds and changed them. This morning, I've asked Sam to, uh, to lead us in a song and I wanna do this. I would want the worship team to come. We're gonna take just a moment and here's what I want us to do, starting off this new year, looking at these attitudes to be or I know that in all of our lives, at any given moment, God can convict us about things. Matter of fact, in my life, I spend a lot of time just conversing with God. I don't listen to the radio much. I, in my driving time, it's... I'm trying to stay focused on the road and the slow drivers in front of me. Um, no. <laughs> hey, Janice, <laughs> she helped me. <laughs> I think of Janice sometimes when I got this slow person in front of me, like, there's Janice. God bless you, Janice. 
I love you. I feel persecuted right now, like I want to get somewhere, and you're preventing me from getting there. But ask yourself, have you re- been relying on your own goodness, your own righteousness, your own, or you don't even think about it? Like, I, I'm good. I just want to challenge us as we start this year, the same way Jesus did when he started his public ministry to say, there's some things you need to think about. Are you relying on your own righteousness, your own goodness? Have you determined what's okay and what's not okay? That I can do this, God will forgive it. You know, everybody's sin. I don't have to worry about it. And so we make it a, we may, ah, it's all right. I basically find my own comfort instead of saying, God, I see this and I really don't like it. And I know you don't like it. And God, would you help me change? I want to be different. I want to, I want to be used by you. I want you to use my life. Like, I want you to teach me to number my days, to apply them to wisdom. I know I don't have all the days I think I have. And I want to be used by you to make a difference in this world, in the kingdom that I'm going to live in forever, not this earthly kingdom. So this morning as they sing, I'm going to invite people that would like to take an action. The same way Jesus did. He asked them to take a step. I can't do God's part and God can't do my part. When God convicts of something, I have to either do one of two things. I gotta say, don't wanna deal with that right now. Catch you later. Or I have to say, God, I'm gonna take as long as it takes to allow you to have your way. And so as they lead, gonna be singing about hungry open the altar here and if there's an area or there's something that we've talked about that you just say you know I don't want that to stay here I want to walk with that and walk in that in 2024 I want to start this year off in such a way that God you have it all so Sam if you would y'all go ahead I'm going to step back for just a minute and I'm going to open this nobody's going to by the way nobody's going to come and pray for you this is you personally having a moment with the Lord. This is just you personally. This is not, hey, if you want somebody to pray with you, we will pray with you and pray for you. But this is you as an individual that will stand before God individually to say, hey, I see this. I want that to change.